the While You Are Single podcast. O.J. Tokes' new, revised, and updated book, While You Are Single, A Guide to Finding and Keeping the Right Mate for Your Life, is now available. For more details about the book, please visit whileyouaresingle.org. Meanwhile, enjoy the podcast. Here is O.J. Tokes. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for another privilege to hear from you tonight, Father God. I ask that you open our hearts to heed your word, open our ears to hear your word, open our minds to understand your word. Give us the wisdom to understand and apply your scriptures, Father God. I come against any spiritual force. I will try to hold back, inhibit, or prevent anyone from receiving from you tonight, Father God. Thank you, Lord, for revelation knowledge flowing freely and giving us understanding to trust you and allow you to finish what you've begun in every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are a lot of people that are uh, frustrated, like I said. I, I, I kind of sense, understandably, um, uh, a lot of single adults, they are kind of just frustrated. Um, some of them want to get married. It hasn't happened yet. They are doing everything they feel like they're supposed to do as believers, praying, trusting God, trying to do things right, and things are not working out. Uh, people believing for things from God, whether it's a job, a promotion, a breakthrough. They are praying. They are receiving prophecies that things are going to happen for them. Year after year, it hasn't happened. They hear that God will grant you the desires of your heart. It hasn't happened. God will not withhold any good thing from you. It hasn't happened. And there's just frustration everywhere. And I just want to encourage you tonight because <laughs> God knows best. God knows what he's doing. And I remember times in my life where I felt like God was leading me in a certain way. And like Isaac, I experienced rejection and I'm scratching my head. I'm like, OK, it's not like I tried to make this happen. It's not like I tried to force this. I kind of felt like God was leading me in this direction and it's not working. I feel like I end up with my head between my tail. Like what happened? What's going on? But what helped me then, though, was this. At the end of the day, after I may have shared my frustration I say, you know what, God, you know best. You know best. There's something I want to encourage everyone with tonight. If there's something wrong somewhere about something you're believing God for, rest assured, the issue is never God. The issue is never God. That was my mindset. Okay, God you know best. I don't know what happened. I don't know what the problem is, but obviously it's definitely not you. So it's either me, something I'm doing, something I'm not doing, or something I just don't understand. Maybe I had some kind of misunderstanding about what I was expecting from you. Okay. So having said that, we're going to go through some scriptures to get some clarity about um, trusting God and receiving the things that God has for us. And interestingly, the first person I want us to look at is a guy named Job. In Job chapter 1, verse 1, we are told that there was a guy in the land of Oz named Job. The Bible says he was blameless upright, feared God, and shunned evil. Blameless, upright, feared God, and shunned evil. 
he was a righteous man. He was a man of integrity. I don't know about you guys, but I can't really claim that I have that kind of character. He was a man of character. And yet, the devil came to God, and to cut a long story short, God allowed the devil to attack him. A few months back, some of you may be familiar with Pastor John Gray. He says something profound. He said that God does not sentence you to pain. He entrusts you with pain. He doesn't sentence you to pain. He entrusts you with pain. In other words, there are some people, because of your character, God can allow you to go through some things because God knows you have the pedigree, you have the character to respond correctly to what the situation is. Nevertheless, God allowed him to attack Job and he took Job's wealth, destroyed his property and killed his kids. And how did Job respond to this? In Job chapter 1, verse 22, the Bible says, In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. In essence, he didn't blame God for it. Okay? Fast forward to chapter 2. The devil attacked him again. Attacked his health. He had boils all over. His wife even encouraged him to curse God and die. But how did Job respond to this? In Job chapter 2, verse 10, we're told that in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Then the next verse, Job chapter 2, verse 11, I'm going to read it. Job chapter 2, verse 11. It says, now when Job's three friends heard heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. That's what happened in Job chapter 2, verse 11. Then that chapter ends. Then we go to Job chapter 3, verse 1. And it says, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Whoa, hold up. What happened? Chapter one. Enemy attacked and killed his family, killed his kids, took his property. He responded by not saying anything against God. He didn't, he didn't complain. He didn't blame God. In fact, the scripture says he worshiped. Okay. Chapter two. Devil attacked again, his health. His wife even encouraged him to curse God, but he did not sin with his lips. Then in chapter 3, verse 1, he opened his mouth and began to curse the day of his birth. I'm like, first and foremost, I'm not naive. I must confess, if I went through what he did, I probably will not do 2% as well as he did. You know, but it it is frustrating. It's very painful what he went through. But my question is, what happened, Job? You were doing fine in chapter one. You did fine in chapter two. At chapter three, you started tripping. (laughs) What happened? And I looked at it, and the thing that popped out to me between chapter two, verse 10, which is the last time he said something good where he didn't say anything against God, and chapter three, verse one, what was the difference? What happened? His friends. 
his friends. Some of us are where we are because of our friends. Some of us are looking at our situation, not the way God wants us to look at them, because of our friends or people who speak into our lives. It is natural to want to share your frustration with people you know. It is natural that your friends come to you to help you out. But sometimes the scripture said they came to comfort him, but they ended up condemning him. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you were going through something and some people came, their purpose or what they said they were going to do with you and for you was pray with you, comfort you, encourage you. But you felt worse after they came and they left. Sometimes it is the people around us that make a bad situation worse. It was the friends. And from Job chapter three, verse one. All the way to chapter 42, Job and his friends were going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Sounds like a song, isn't it? Back and forth. They were just arguing and bickering and this and that, just making a bad situation worse. Literally, it's actually more like all the way to chapter 32. So while all this is happening, a new person shows up on the scene. His name is Elihu. Elihu shows up in Job chapter 32. And let me read what the Bible says about Elihu. In Job 32 verses 1 to 3, Elihu shows up because Job and his friends were going back and forth. And the friends were like, you know what? We're done. The friends were basically telling Job, you are going through this because you did something wrong. Why don't you just repent? That's the essence of their argument with Job. And Job is like, I didn't do nothing wrong. I'm, I've been doing right. I can't believe God is doing this, just tripping and arguing with his boys. OK, then Elihu now responds in Job chapter 32, because Elihu apparently was there and was just listening to them go back and forth. And Elihu in Job 32 verses one to three says this. So these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Bozite of the family of Ram, was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends, his wrath was aroused because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Remember, the Bible says... In Job 2.11, they came to mourn and comfort him, but they really ended up condemning him. And Elihu is upset because, according to the verse, Job was justifying himself other than God. And he was upset with the other three guys because you don't even have an answer for Job. You have no uh, credible reason on why Job is going through what he's going through. And yet you're condemning him. How many of you have been in a situation where you're going through stuff and people are telling you, oh, you're going through this because God is judging you or you did something wrong? They don't even know why you're going through what you're going through. But they come off like they know the answer and you're the problem. And God's like, nah. So Elihu came and he was upset with the guys for condemning Job and because Job was being self-righteous, so to speak. 
Then Elihu spoke. Now, the name Elihu means Jehovah is God. So in a sense, Elihu was kind of coming to set the table for God to speak to Job. Then I believe is in Job 38. God now spoke to Job to clear up some things. OK, so Job now gets a cl- some clarity because Job was questioning God and saying all kind of stuff. Then God now showed up and talked to Job. Then in Job chapter 42, verses 1 to 6, after God has spoken to Job and asked him some questions, then Job responded, okay? In Job 42, uh, is actually 1 to 6. It reads, and I'm, I'm quoting from the Message Bible because I like the way uh, the Message version presents this because other translations, you get the gist, but this kind of breaks it down even more. This is after God has spoken to Job, and this is Job's response. Job answered God, I'm convinced you can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one can upset your plans. You asked, who is this muddying the water, ignorantly confusing the issue, second-guessing my purposes? I admitted I was the one. I babbled on about things far beyond me made small talk about wonders over my head. You told me, listen, and let me do the talking. Let me ask the questions. You give the answers. I admit I once lived by rumors of you. Now I have it all firsthand from my own eyes and ears. Other translations basically say, I've heard about you, God, but now that I see you, I I, I really know you, okay? Then he goes on to say, I'm sorry, forgive me. I'll never do that again. I promise I'll never again live on crust of hearsay, crumbs of rumor. In other words, Joe was like, God, forgive me. Uh, I didn't know what I was talking about. (laughs) I didn't know what I was talking about. I've heard about you, but now that I see you, it lets me know that despite the fact that the verse presents Job as a righteous man, he was upright, he was blameless, he was, he feared God, uh, he was, uh, um, a man of integrity, he wasn't as close to God as he was now after that situation. Okay? And, now that he was closer to God, he was like, oh, and after God spoke to him, he was like, oh, oh, I get it now. Oh, man, I've been I've been saying stuff. I didn't even know what I was talking about. Now, now I get it, Lord. Now, now I get it. Forgive me. I apologize. I want to say this. In prosperity. Somebody said this. This doesn't come, doesn't come from me. In prosperity, you know, your friends. Let me say that again. In prosperity, your friends know you. In adversity, you know your friends. Okay? When everything is right, everybody wants to roll with you. But when you're going through, then you really, really know who are for you. So Job goes through all of this, and after he was like, okay, I I, I get it now. Then... In verse 10, it says, after Job had interceded for his friends, God restored his fortune and then doubled it. Okay, now check this out. Job repented in chapter 42. Okay. One to six. 
Then verse 10, the Bible says he interceded for his friends and God restored him and doubled what Job had. So I'm thinking to myself, what if Job repented in chapter 30? Maybe he will have gotten the breakthrough in chapter 30. Maybe what if he 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 he, he repented in chapter 20? My point is, <laughs> chapter 2, verse 10 was the last time Job said or did the right thing. Forty chapters later, literally, 40 plus 2 is 42. The last time Job didn't do anything against God was Job chapter 2, verse 10. Then fast forward, Job chapter 42, verse 10. Literally 40 chapters later, he got himself right and he got restored. And sometimes I wonder how often we think God is taking long, but it's really us prolonging something that perhaps God wanted to resolve earlier. And having the wrong people around you is just going to get the situation prolonged than God intended it to be prolonged. Arguing and bickering and uh, going through all that motion with people just adds chapters and chapters that some of which God never intended for it to happen because right after he repented, immediately he interceded for his friends, the same friends that were condemning him, and God restored him twofold. I found it interesting that I don't know exactly how God restored him completely, but part of the way that God restored his wealth was commanding his friends to give him stuff, which means his friends had stuff. So I'm thinking to myself, why didn't the friends just give him stuff in the beginning? I mean, they're his friends, right? They have stuff. He's going through stuff. Give him some stuff. They didn't. They were just condemning him. But 40 chapters later, he got his mind right, got himself right, and God restored him. So having said this, I know that a lot of us are feeling like, hey, you know, what's going on with God? And I, I want, I hope I can come off like Elihu without his anger, of course, and maybe clarify some things. So we're going to go to Psalm 37, verse 4. Psalm 37, verse 4. And we're going to slice and dice that verse to get some clarity about some things. It basically says that delight in the Lord and God will give you the desires of your heart. First thing I want to bring about, I'm sure some of you already noticed this. Sometimes when people quote this scripture, they don't quote the first part. They quote the second part. God will give you the desires of your heart. The Bible says God will give you the desires of your heart. Well, that's true, but there's a condition. The condition is delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So first of all, before you can go before God and say, God, why aren't you meeting my desires? The question is, are you delighting in the Lord? Because we are supposed to delight in the Lord and he will give us the desires of our hearts. Having said that. A lot of translations say delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But if you look at it from the King James uh, Version or New King James Version or Amplified, I even looked it up in the Orthodox Jewish Bible Version. It says delight also 
in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It doesn't say delight in the Lord. No, it says delight also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If my wife Dana asked me to go to the store and um, she tells me or I walk out of the house and she I hear her say, also put gas in the car. And I come back with gas in the car. But she's upset with me. I'm like, why is she upset? Because she said, also put gas in the car, which means there was something else that I was supposed to do in addition to putting gas in the car. Well, it's the same thing. Also, delight in the Lord means there are other things that are connected to (laughs) delighting in the Lord. Delight in the Lord and do those other things and God will give you the desires of your heart. So it's like when you say also, that means something comes before also. You need to figure out what comes before the also. So let's do that in Psalm 37, 1, 2, 3. Psalm 37, 1, 2, 3. And I'm going to read. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight also in the Lord and God will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, if you want God to give you the desires of your heart, number one, don't worry about what other people are doing. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you are informed, inspired, and impacted. If you'd like to learn more about O.J. Tokes, his books, blog, music, and his monthly ministry for singles, please visit whileyouaresingle.org. That is whileyouaresingle.org. If you've been blessed by the podcast, we encourage you to please share with your friends. Until next week's podcast, take care and stay blessed. Thank you.